Spoiler alert! This episode of The Power of Three may contain spoilers. Jaren Cacophony tells you that yet again you're back with the Power of Three podcast as we continue our run of episodes looking at the new Target novelizations published in 2024, covering not just the David Tennant specials but the Christmas special introducing Shuti Gatwa as the 15th Doctor. I'm Kenny Smith. Hello, hello, how are you? Hello, hello, it's good to see you. And we are going to be chatting the church on Ruby Road and having a chat with a couple of people who were involved with its creation. We'll be chatting with editor Steve Cole shortly, as well as the author Esme Jakimi Pearson. But first, let's find out what the cover blurb has to tell us about this book. Chance. Misfortune. Coincidence. These are the weapons of choice for the Doctor's latest enemies. And those enemies are very, very hungry. For Ruby Sunday, this Christmas Eve is a birthday she'll never forget. It's the day she joins the Doctor on board a goblin ship. The day she learns of dangers from beyond the universe. The day her life really begins. Or, perhaps, the day it ends. The target novelisation of the first full adventure featuring the 15th Doctor, played by Shuti Gatwa, and the introduction of his new best friend, Ruby Sunday, played by Millie Gibson. Russell T. Davis's original script has been novelised by up-and-coming literary talent Esme Jakimi Pearson. So let's hear a sample from the audiobook version, which has been narrated by Angela Winter. Manchester, the 24th of December, 2004. Once upon a time, late on Christmas Eve, a stranger came to the church on Ruby Road. It was an old church the grand kind one usually finds in small villages, with a tower and a clock face. Gravestones stood in the front churchyard. Great stone crosses made blurry and indistinct by the snow which fell in heavy flakes from the night sky, blanketing the whole scene in white, muffling the sounds of the stranger's frantic footsteps. Beyond the church, in the middle distance, Houses stretched out in neat rows, their windows flickering with warm light. But in the churchyard, the only illumination came from old-fashioned street lamps, the sort you might read about in a children's story, their yellow light struggling out from behind dusty panes. Indeed, you might be forgiven for thinking this is a children's story. Alas... It is not. The stranger was dressed for snow, wrapped in a shawl all the way up to her eyes and ears, shuffling down the icy street and clutching a bundle in her hands. She might have wanted to stop, catch her breath, but she gave no sign of it, just kept walking. Her precious bundle pressed to her chest as she made her way towards the church, determined steady. 
When she reached the grand arching wooden doors, she placed the bundle before them on the ground. In the light of the street lamp, her daughter's face was visible, peeking out of the swaddling blankets, a pale circle with a button nose, eyes squeezed shut. Above her, the minute hand on the clock tower ticked closer to the hour. By the time it struck midnight, the stranger was gone, swallowed by the snow and the dark of the night, vanished completely into the wideness of the world. Had the stranger turned back, perhaps to raise her hand in farewell to her daughter, she would have seen the door open, just as the rolling tolls of the church bell rang the hour, a flood of light and warmth like a river spilling across the stone. The merry sound of the choir carrying out into the freezing air of the night. She would have watched from afar as the vicar glanced around, his face wrinkling at the sight of the bundle on the doorstep. The small waving hands, the little nose and wisps of blonde hair peeking out from beneath the child's little cap. She would have seen him scoop up the child, his robes ruffling in the cold evening air before shaking his head and placing a kiss on the newborn's brow. But the stranger did not see any of those things, though she might have, if only she had turned. Instead, she moved forward, onward, and disappeared into the snow. Now, if this were a true Christmas fairy tale, the stranger might have been reunited with her daughter many years later. She might have been a rich duchess, or a pirate queen, or a snow fairy come to take her child back to her icy realm. But this story isn't a fairy tale, and the stranger was never seen again. No one ever even knew her name. This is what happened instead. And once again, our thanks go to our friends over at BBC Audiobooks for allowing us to have a clip from The Church on Ruby Road, read by Angela Winter. You can pick that up on CD, or indeed you can get it as a download if you're old-fashioned like me and like your physical media. I know I do. But yes, that's available now, so please do go and track it down if you enjoyed that. So now we're going to have a chat with Steve Cole and he's going to tell us how Esme became involved in novelising The Church on Ruby Road. Hi, I'm Steve Cole. I am the editor of the Target Novelisations. The Church on Ruby Road, we've got it in a hardback format to start with. And of course, a new writer to the range as well. So how did all that come about? Well... The lovely Esme had been lined up to uh, work on a project, uh, another multimedia one, uh, that the BBC were putting together, which ended up being held over um, and then was ultimately replaced with the uh, Doomsday series. Um, but we'd had her on our list uh, as an up and coming author. She has her own fantasy novels and it's really a rising star. So we're very, very happy to get her. And because she likes 
play as well of course that that makes it uh, all the uh, all the more fun so she was very uh, very eager to um really really threw herself at the task of first working with the scripts and then being able to see uh, an early cut and yeah i was i was very it was a very happy experience working with somebody new um and forging a you know an editorial relationship with someone i hope we get to use her again but it was uh, it was great it was like seeing a new series through a, a younger set of eyes and yeah i felt the novelization works really well very vibrant just it comes it really comes alive but i think particularly you know she gets when she's talking about ruby and you know things like wearing a skirt and things like that and so i think there's absolutely sort of like that sort of younger fem- female perspective that for example you and i would never have had and just sort of little aside yeah. and comments like that which which made it which made me laugh in places as well yes exactly and i think she did a really good job of getting inside ruby's head and presenting her as, as the companion there and you know for a new era you're looking for new voices because that's what we're, we're getting with the um the new series that new sense of fun and youth and vigor and you know clapped out 52 year old like me is very welcome <laughs> very, welcomes very much um, the arrival of, of new blood to uh to work with because you know it's well, it's always lovely working with people you know. It's also exciting working with people that you don't that you're going to get to know. So uh, it was, yeah, it was it was good fun working on that. And yeah, I think I'm looking forward to getting my hands on my own copy of of, of these. Of course, there's a change in cover design with Anthony Dry's retiral. So how did this come about in terms of getting uh, rebinding on board to create something that's really quite stunning? Again, it was wanting to mark the start of a new era in a standout way. I'm pretty sure the plan is to do a target of Ruby Road down the line, uh, which will fit in with the um, the new style. But Anthony had you know, been doing it for quite a few years, and you know I think it was such a part of of the uh, the success of the new targets that uh, he actually requested that he say, be allowed to say a little goodbye, which Gary Russell was okay with. So we sneaked it into the last page of the Star Beast. Uh, I think that was my last bit of editing work on that particular novel, right at the very end, just slipped it in there. So, obviously, Lee is fantastic, uh, love his stuff, and he'd done some beautiful work for the Hootopia hardback book, some wonderful montages of uh, characters, which didn't just feel like, you know, taking photographs and sticking them together. He always finds ways to make them more dynamic and more exciting and more interesting and his sense of composition i think is second to none so um i didn't see the uh, the cover and for ruby road until it was released when i did i just laughed out loud i was so happy with it it was such a great energetic moment it just screams this is new actually this is a new star here you know come <laughs> dangle from this ladder <laughs> over the vertiginous heights of storytelling to come that's what it that's what it says i think so uh yeah, I think uh, it's exciting to have uh, you know changes woven into the fabric of Doctor Who, and of course it works wonderfully uh, woven into the fabric of its uh, tie-in products as well. It's also a wonderful sort of taking us back to what 1988 when we've got the hardback format and then the paperback to come. <laughs> yes, indeed, and indeed, uh, in a way, back to the uh, the photographic uh, covers but in a way rather more successful than Target managed back in the early 80s, I would argue. Thanks, Steve. Fantastic as always. Thanks, Kenny. Cheers.
Many thanks to Steve for that, and of course, for the fascinating info that before Doomsday, there was something else, but we never got it. There we go. Fascinating stuff. Thank you once again to Steve for his time, not only today, but over the previous days, when he's filled us in on all the interesting info behind the scenes on the Target novelizations. And now, it's time to have a chat with Ismi, who I can honestly say was an absolute pleasure to chat with. Really good fun. Absolutely knows her Doctor Who, loves it inside out. And my goodness, she is a fantastic talent to watch. So yes, delighted to have her on The Power of Three. Hi, I'm Esme. I'm the author of The Church of Ruby Road, the novelization of Shooty Gatwa's first ever Christmas episode. And I also write um, original fiction under the same name. And my first book, The Principle of Moments, just came out on January the 18th. Fantastic. We can come back to that later and give you a wee plug for that at the end. Oh, yes, that would be great. <laughs> Fantastic. So I think it's fair to say that there's probably a generation in fandom between you and I. So when did yeah. you first start watching the show? So my entry point to Doctor Who was just like a total coincidence. Um, so I grew up in Australia for sort of the first nine years of my life because my dad's an Aussie. Um, and, you know, eventually my mum put her foot down and said, I want to come back to London. That's where I was born and raised. So we came back to London and I found the move quite um, like difficult because it was kind of that age where you're just about to... Um, move into sort of your final year of primary school and everyone's growing up so I was sad to sort of miss all my friends and um, I have a sister I've got two sisters but um, the first one was just a little baby when we moved over so me and my sister were sitting in the front room on a weekend because we had nothing to do because we didn't know anyone and um, we just I don't even think the TV had barely been connected or anything. So we, we opened BBC iPlayer and we're like right what's going on here like what can we watch and we saw Doctor Who and I had been a massive fan of fantasy books and sci-fi books. And I, to this day, obviously, I just love anything fantasy. So we just clicked on it and started watching it. Christopher Eccleston, it was from what we would call, I guess, season one, which was Christopher Eccleston's sort of first episode. And we just binged through right till, um, I think it was almost like a few episodes before David Tennant sort of 11, like regenerated. And we could not believe what we were watching. We were just absolutely enthralled. And we hadn't been big TV watchers before then, but we would just we would just sit on the floor. Like, you know, when the show is so good, you have to sit on the floor <laughs> right close to the TV. Um, and we just loved it. And we just let the episodes play. We were just obsessed. And then we sort of watched. I can't remember when, when it ended. But I think it was just before David Tennant left. And so then that was about. 2010 and we just started watching um, episodically from that point on because we'd sort of reached the end of everything that was on iPlayer so we sort of were like right well how do we watch this show where do we find it and we figured out how to kind of like tune in every week and just from then on I was just absolutely a fan for life totally like that those few seasons that I saw made me a fan for life and I've kept up with it fairly regularly ever since then I had a bit of a a blip in watching when I went to university um, so I haven't seen a lot of Jodie season but I'm back on it, watching weekly, and I'm just uh, absolutely loving it. I can't wait for May, like, bring it on. <laughs> That's amazing. It's, so, go on, terrify me. What year were you born in? I was 1974. Oh, God, you're going to hate this 2001 baby over here. <laughs> okay, you're five years older than my daughter. Okay. Okay, got it, got it, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologise. It's great. It's it's fantastic. The fact that it's got you hooked in because it got me at the age of four and uh, yes, yeah, never left since. So 
My goodness. That's similar, that's similar to my mum, actually. She, um, she's not like a sort of a very dedicated fan, but her brother was a massive fan of Doctor Who and they used to sit down and watch it. And we, we, um, I was just showing her a clip of the old intro, the black and white one, and she was laughing because she said, you know, you're not going to believe this, but that used to genuinely freak me out, <laughs> like those sort of effects. And because the, the music and stuff, it was a bit more creepy. And she said, you know, that used to genuinely terrify me. Um, and she thinks it's so funny because with CGI nowadays, we sort of look at it and go like, oh, surely not. But um, she used to be really scared to watch it. And it was almost more like a horror TV show for her. I get that. It used to. I used to get that as well. Just that that Saturday night thrill, and of course, it's all an iPlayer, so she can go back and relive her terror. No, that's what I said to her. I was like, "Well, it's all there now. Let's go back and give you like a bit of scare." <laughs> she's not. Oh, she's not up for it. Brilliant. So, when did your own interest in writing begin? And I'd imagine it to be at school. You sort of you'd show an aptitude for a creative writing and a love of the language. Yeah, so I was always really keen on reading, obviously, as, as anyone who writes is keen on reading. I was just reading from a really young age. I'd finished all the sort of like big fantasy books like, you know, the Harry Potter and um, sort of Lord of the Rings at a young age. And I just couldn't get enough. And there are some really good Australian sort of middle grade-ish fantasy writers. And I think they definitely sparked my love for it. So I'll always owe a debt to them. And yeah, it was it was mainly in secondary school. I had I remember when I the moment that I thought, oh, I might be good at this was that I had a creative writing piece due um, and totally forgot about it for English. And then I, I got on the train. and I had a mega long commute into school because um, my school was in central London, but I live quite far in the suburbs. And um, halfway through the journey, my English teacher sat across from me on the tube and her presence made me think, oh, God, I've got this piece of homework that's due and I've not done it. And it's creative writing. And oh my god, I'm gonna get in so much trouble because uh, I was a quite forgetful student. So I got out my little iPhone 3 and started writing in the notes app my creative writing piece. And I sort of got to school and edited it a bit in the morning and printed it off and handed it in and thought, oh god, I've got away with that. Like it won't be my best work, but thank god it's in. That's all I care about. And then we got to the next lessons, probably like you know a few days later, and she had marked it and she she was like right everyone I'm going to show you like an exemplary piece of writing <laughs> and it, it was my homework and I couldn't believe what, what I was hearing and I just from that point on that actually gave me quite a lot of confidence with writing and I think it is those sort of just serendipitous moments where you get some a teacher saying you've done a good job or something like that and I had really enjoyed writing it so I thought you know what maybe there's something to this and I found it a really sort of fun way to just kind of explore everything that I was going through at the time and just like my own thoughts about the world and my place in the world. So I just kind of kept writing stories. Then my parents got me for my 16th birthday for my GCSE revision. They sort of managed to get me a laptop, which I was just overjoyed about because until then I'd be writing on the family computer and in the ICT rooms and stuff. So I had my own laptop and then from it was just kind of like from then on I was just away and I started writing the first draft, the very early first draft of my book. And then, yeah, that's kind of kept me going ever since and just love writing. I completely get that. I mean, I was... English was my subject at school. So I went into journalism was my yes. area rather than what you do. But it's just that love of language and be able to communicate and express thoughts and, mm. and in my case, present facts. And yeah, I just love all that. And just completely get your passion for it. It's, it's such a joy just to know that others completely get it. 
No, it is, it is, because I feel like if you're kind of like the English kid in class, it can be a bit, people can think you're a bit of a geek because you're just like reading your books all the time. But it's it's such a rewarding and fulfilling sort of pathway to go down in life, whether it's like creative or journalism. Because I, I used to um, think that I wanted to be a journalist and I love like uh, long form articles and I love reading journalism, but I think it's a skill set that I find quite hard and have never really cracked so i have a lot of respect for journalists well we've got a lot of respect for you guys too so hey mutual <laughs> club big hug <laughs> <Yeah. Hey. laughs> so i am such a teletubby in disguise oh no it's so nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah so imagine then that i mean obviously we're, you mentioned there that your own first novel has just come out but i suppose in a wibbly wobbly kind of way your second novels come out before your first one so how did the whole uh, novelization come about as a target book? So I'd actually, I'm not sure really how much I'm allowed to say about this, but a few years before I'd been contacted by the BBC about a project for Doctor Who, and it was quite a big project um, with a lot of different people involved. And we kind of all met and were discussing it um, as kind of like a preliminary meeting. And that was really fun. However, the project didn't really make it off the ground in the end, which is sad, but I know it happens all the time in kind of like TV and um, like the book world and stuff. But I just had such a fun time. I was like, felt so like um, energized by the whole experience. And I just loved the Doctor Who brand, obviously. And I working for them was just such a dream that I almost didn't even realize I had because I didn't know kind of what even the avenue towards working for them would be. In my mind, it's kind of just like there are very established writers for the show and sometimes they'll bring in like an amazing writer to do an episode, but I didn't really know what the route in would be for writing the novelizations. Even though I'd read um, a fair few of them in the library as a kid, it just never really occurred to me. So I was really excited by that. And then obviously when it didn't come to fruition, I was bummed out, but I was like, you know what, it's okay. Like, I'm sure something else later down the line will happen. And then a few years later, they contacted me with the thought of doing a novelization. And early on in the process, I had no idea what episode I'd be adapting. I had no idea what it was going to be. And this was before they contacted me before we knew David Tennant was coming back. I knew Shooty Gatwell had been cast, but it was still like we really knew very little about what was sort of going on. And then as the process went along and I, they finally sort of revealed what episode I'd be writing, I just was so happy. I couldn't believe it because Shooty's casting is just one of the most, as a doc, as you know, like a black Doctor Who fan, it's just like this amazing, joyful thing. So I felt very honoured to be even slightly associated with that episode. But to do the novelisation, I was so happy. And may I say what a wonderful job you've done. I think you've got the energy you've got you're just like descriptions all there and particularly i mean there's sort of saying with steve earlier that you know just stuff about ruby wearing a skirt and something like that and stuff like that's a comment you know if you know somebody else had been you know for example an older male writer had been doing it that's the sort of thing that you can observe you can put that in whereas we would never have that sort of expel probably wouldn't have that experience yeah uh, oh no i i loved writing from ruby's perspective i find her to just be such an incredible like addition to the kind of like line of companions that have come through doctor who because i think her her interesting thing that she has i think it was in, in the script a lot of of her sort of like what i zoned in on is her big 
dilemma at the moment is just that she has this very relatable feeling of that she doesn't know when her life is going to begin and she feels like she's kind of on the precipice of something of you know this idea of her life and she doesn't know what it's going to be where it's going to be who it's going to be with and who who she's going to be and I just feel like to young people but also to anyone at any age who's feeling lost I feel like she's such a relatable character in that sense and I I love it as well as a motivation for going off with the doctor because obviously you would do you know what I mean like of course you would Um, especially if he was shooting at work I I would definitely go with him he's so fun but yeah I I, I loved being able to write from like a female perspective as well because the companions have always been like probably one of my favorite parts of the show so i just it was so great to get to write from her perspective and yeah bring bring the the girls pov um for a change (laughs) imagine there's also a huge thrill in knowing that you're getting to read and watch a piece of work from one of britain's greatest television writers months before everyone else and then of course there's that problem with the nda as in you can't tell anyone you're doing it yeah yeah i found that so tricky oh my goodness and i mean just from the the script alone i remember the first time i read it i had not read many scripts sometimes if i watch a movie i really like i'll read the screenplay but i've never read a, a television script before um and it was just the most incredible experience so yes i got it early and um it kind of had it was you know the, by russell t davies i was like oh my god and by honestly a few pages into the script full body chills um and just kind of like tears in my eyes because it's the the opening scene where you see the doctor in the, ch- the snowy churchyard and you've got the cow of the bells and i could like, hear it in my mind and the way that um russell t davies wrote it was just that the doctor appears and very late in the scene and then you sort of come across to his face and he's crying and it was such a like and it was an arresting moment to read in the script and i just sort of started rubbing my hands together like oh we're so back like this is going to be so good <laughs> um and it was just an amazing experience but yeah i found it very hard to sort of keep my like trap shut and not spill the beans to anyone um but I also felt like my superiority complex came in. I was like, I know what's happening in the Christmas episode and you don't know. <laughs> um, so that was so fun. And yeah, I was actually talking to some of the other writers recently because I met them. I think I was talking to Mark and he said um, it was so interesting because everybody who'd written a novelization got to, they're so, the BBC and Doctor was so um, specific about what you get to see and what you get to know. And it was kind of like if you'd written the second special you only got to see episodes one and two if you don't if you wrote the first one you'd only seen episode one if you wrote the third one you got to see all of them so everyone was very much like in the dark about it um but yeah it was just such a wonderful process and i had the best time ever um getting to read the script and watching the episode as well before anyone had seen it so there were limited special effects on it um which was hilarious (laughs) i'd imagine that sort of helped inform you know when you're doing things like uh, the goblin king and how you managed to novelize a song is brilliant. I was laughing when I was reading that. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I was worried, you know, because I read the script and just had a moment where I thought, this is so brilliant. Like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> Were there any particular moments that you found diff- more difficult to do than others? Because it's, excuse me, it seems, and when I say effortless, I mean that as an absolute compliment. Oh, and the no, way that it, is, it, it seems that you've 
because you've done such a good job of translating what's a very visual episode, you know, all the stuff with the ropes and things like that. And it yeah. very much feels, when, you know, when reading it, it's like, yep, absolutely. I could imagine this being, you know, it's, it's, exa- it's like it is on TV, but also it's TV plus, if that makes sense as well. Mm-hmm. You've got that extra depth to it. I suppose that's the thing where you get to bring your authorial voice in there and do your own thing by bringing, keeping it the same as the TV plot, but just to be able to get the, those extra insights from characters. Yeah. No, I, it was a really interesting process. In terms of something that I found difficult, I, I think it was an interesting thing because the, the books that I've written in the past have spanned these really great time periods and you get sort of like a whole month with these characters to see their development or you get flashbacks to their childhood and all this kind of stuff to build it up. But it was so interesting because the whole the whole episode takes place in an afternoon and I think that's obviously reflected in the length of the books. It's quite short. But I, I found that so interesting to kind of think. Because, you know, if you're experiencing in real life, it'd probably all just go by in a flash. But in a, in a longer piece of work, you've got to have these, the lulls and the quick paced moments. And they've all got to sort of fit together to create something that feels like it's got a three act structure. And obviously I was very lucky in that the script did a lot of that for me because it's just so well written. But um yeah adapting it sort of from the script to the show then back to a book was really interesting um yeah i just i don't know another thing that was interesting to do was to be in the doctor's perspective for the last sort of maybe third of the book i found that very challenging but also um very just fun to be honest because i think he's such a fun um incarnation of the doctor so i found that to be amazing but yeah the um the goblin scenes were probably the trickiest to get my head around just because of the um when i watched it it was still quite like the song was a different it wasn't a different song but it hadn't had it didn't have the production like value on it yet like it hadn't been recorded it was just i think it was like a man singing it maybe i'm not sure i'm not sure who it was but it was like a very sort of like demo level um song and even from the episode that i saw to what then played on tv there were actually like a fair few differences so like even um and this might just be my memory but even in the music that i saw initially was different to the music that they then put just like in terms of the soundtrack which tonally shifted it slightly which i thought was interesting because you kind of pick up on these things as a writer to try and translate the soundtrack atmosphere the atmosphere that creates into a book but yeah i don't know Uh, overall it felt quite natural i feel like just because i've spent so many years of my life at this point with the character of the doctor and the various companions it felt very natural to kind of explore all the different avenues and questions I'd always had about, I wonder how the Doctor would think about this. Yeah. So from your perspective, how difficult is it to novelise somebody else's work compared to writing your own? You know what, I won't lie, at times I did find it hard because you're kind of when I'm writing my own my own work, there's this sense of like freedom and like play and like, oh, I wonder what could happen. And that to me provides a lot of the motivation for writing is to find out what's coming next. Because at some level, on some level as the writer, there there is a moment during writing where you don't know what's coming next. And that's how the story sort of tells itself to you. But to already know what's coming is very interesting. And I think poses different questions about how to keep yourself interested and keep the reader interested. Because sometimes I feel like once you've been told the story, you're like, oh, well, I've been told it now. Like, that was great. How do you expand on it? And I think 
for me, the way that I kept myself interested was by really digging deep into the emotional truths and the emotional stakes behind the character's actions. And I found that just like so wonderful because in the script that is very limited. You really don't get a sense of what the characters are thinking and feeling beyond what they're saying and how they're acting. So in a script, it's all like show, show, show and don't tell. But in a book, I do think there's room for sort of exploring and telling a bit more about how they're feeling and where the points of view that they're coming from. So yeah, I just, I, I did find it difficult, but it was more of a challenge that I really wanted to rise to and to kind of like do it justice. And also to just not mess up the sort of amazing story that had already been told by Russell T Davies. I was very, um, kind of wanted to be very respectful of his work, but whilst also not being too meek and shy and kind of just really giving it my all and kind of just expanding on everything that he'd said in, and giving it my own spin, which I feel like I, I hope I've done. So yeah, I just I loved every second of it basically, even though it was difficult comes across the passion on the page given that it's you don't know if you'll get any more to do so yeah you want to give it that yeah. that maximum yeah. oomph mm-hmm. so, yeah. so yeah tell us about your own work now of course because as we speak you've just returned from edinburgh yes yes i have just returned from edinburgh where i had an amazing event and everyone was so nice so i'll definitely be back but um yeah so my my own book the tagline that my publisher came up with after sort of reading it and thinking how are we gonna pitch this to people is Star Wars meets Doctor Who meets a bit of Jane Austen and actually in the um, upcoming season of Doctor Who I've seen the promo images and there's like I know there's going to be a Regency episode because we've had those amazing um, sneak peeks into the costumes that they've got and that's a very good way to kind of describe one half of my book is that it's almost like a Doctor Who Regency episode with time travellers and like a demonic existential threat to the city of London um, which is just all the good stuff um, but the main plot is follows a girl named Asha who's sort of working um, on a faraway planet because Earth has been destroyed and humanity have had to leave and they've basically been um, become indentured servants of the Empire which is sort of this hyper-capitalistic empire that comprises about a hundred worlds and you know one day she basically finds out that she had a sister who was imprisoned and sort of taken by the emperor at birth and she decides that she's going to like break out of her sort of restrictive and oppressive circumstances and travel across the galaxy to go and find her and you know along the way she meets up with obi who's the time traveler character in regency london and he kind of gets beamed into the future where they both meet because they're heading to the same place to achieve their goals and yeah it's just a classic space opera and has a lot of tropes and sort of like cliches in it that i really just wanted to explore in my own way because you know i feel like with my book i sort of i guess try to achieve something similar to doctor who which is that at times it can be a bit cheesy but in the best possible way and it's just like hitting you in the heart and exploring real relationships between people and real sort of yeah emotional stakes that feel very true and normal but against a massive backdrop of like this this fantastical space world um so yeah that's kind of my pitch for my book it's definitely would appeal to fans of doctor who because i myself am a fan of doctor who and i wrote it so (laughs) and it's called the principle of moments yeah fantastic and is available now i think it's priced 15.99 
Uh, yes, I, I think yeah, I think it's um yeah, it should be available from all retailers in the UK. Americans might have a harder time finding it because it's not coming out there. But um, you can order internationally from Blackwell's with like free shipping. And there's an audio book coming out in a f- is it tomorrow maybe? No, in in four days on the 29th. So that's exciting. That's fantastic. But oh, where can people find out more about your work, Esme? What is your website so people can drop in and find out more? My website is my name, so Esme Jakimi hyphen Pearson, I think dot squarespace.com or dot com, something like that. Yeah. And um, you can find me on all social media platforms under Esme JP, so E S M I E J P. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I'll just be sort of chatting about my book and all the random thoughts that come into my head. Um, Fantastic. But we'll make sure we get books for that in the show notes as well, so a link to the website and perfect. Thanks. So it's been great. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight um, just to, to share the passion that, uh, that we both have for one daft old TV show. And yes, it's, no, uh, it's been wonderful. I love talking about Doctor Who. Before I did the novelization, it was quite a solo thing. And um, I never realized how much I love talking about Doctor Who with people. So getting to do this has been so fun to just have a good old chat with everyone about the show. I'm loving it. Perfect. Last one, Rowan, it is me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. So there we go. That was Esme. Massive thanks to her for taking the time, particularly when she's out promoting her own book at the moment. So it was a real joy to chat with her. So you can pick up The Church on Ruby Road, which is published in a hardback format rather than paperback. And it's available in the UK for £14.99, in America for $20 and in Canada for $31.99. And that's what it sounds like, just in case you wondered. It reads very well too. So there we go. That's the end of our little bonus mini run of adventures that we've brought you this week. Originally planned to do one a week, but I thought, what's the point? Let's just go and enjoy them all because we all love our Target books. Because if you're a Doctor Who fan and you don't love Target books, then you're not a Doctor Who fan. That's a fact. So there we go. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been Kenny Smith and we always do like to play out with the tune. So... I thought we should go for one that seemed quite appropriate. It's Hosier's Take Me to Church, but probably not a good song to express if you're the Goblin King. <laughs> bye bye. We'll be back next week. My lover's got humour. She's the giggle at a funeral. Knows everybody's disapproval. I should have worshipped her sooner. If the heavens ever did speak. She's the last true mouthpiece Every Sunday's getting more bleak Fresh poison each week We were born sick You heard them say it My church offers no absolutes She tells me worship in the bedroom The only heaven I'll be sent to Is when I'm alone with you I was born sick But I love you Command me to 